When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall, just for what I did well. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word, World Cup Daily, day 30, coming to you from Ahmedabad, the beautiful underground car park at Ahmedabad Stadium. Jeff Lemon and ESPN Crick Info's Matt Roller with you. We've just been watching England play Australia for Westfield. London, Westfield, Stratford City, more extra less ordinary. Tell us all about that entire match in the space of 30 seconds. Uh, England win the toss and bowl again. They love bowling for some reason, even though it's really hot. Uh, they get rid of the openers early on, then they kind of press autocomplete. The innings happens. Marnus gets 70, I think. Uh, Green and Stoinis get 40 and 30. Woke somehow comes out of it with four wickets. Uh, stuff happens. Then we get the miracle news that Pakistan have beaten New Zealand. It's rained at the Chinnaswamy. England lose two early wickets, but it doesn't matter because their semi-final hopes are still somehow mathematically uh, alive. Then Milan and Stoke score some runs. Uh, then Zampa rips the heart out of them with his, uh, you know, probably his red letter day. He's already scored some runs at the end of the innings. He takes three for 21, I think, through the middle overs. Uh, unbelievable effort to go uh, top of the pack of wicket takers at this tournament. Uh, and then he takes a specky in the deep to uh, seal the win. What a day. What a day for Adam Zampa. What a day for Pakistan. I know that Adam and Camponsby will have done that show, but goodness me, New Zealand, who bowl first and concede nearly 400 a couple of times in a row and lose, then they bat first and make 400 and still lose. Um, don't know how that happened. Poor old New Zealand. Very Pakistan areas. Um, but this, this was very England areas, at least in this World Cup, in that 287 they had to chase. It wasn't a huge total. Um, when they won the toss and chose to bowl, I just had my head in my hands. I was like, have you have you not been paying attention? This is a very bad idea. This ends badly for everybody. It's really hot. You're going to be exhausted when you bat. It's going to suck. You're going to concede 380. But that didn't happen. They bowled better than that. And, and a fair bit of the credit for that had to come down to Chris Wokes, who hasn't had a great tournament, but had a, had a good outing last time around. Um, sorry, the, the game against India bowled well in that match, kept them to 229. That wasn't enough to get his team a win either, but he gets the two Australian openers out. And they don't, they don't have Mitchell Marsh in this team. They don't have Glenn Maxwell in this team. So, you know, Travis Head smites a few early, gets to, what was it, 11, 12 off, 12 off 11 balls, perhaps. Smacks one over cover. He just wasn't hitting it as crisply as he did against New Zealand. And I thought, I had a feeling he was going to get out. And Barrett Sundaresa next to me says, Chris Wokes is on. Travis Head will get out to Chris Wokes in this over. And he did, which should be Hall of Fame worthy. But, you know, he edges one to slip. And then Warner plays a big hook across the line, big top edge. And suddenly they're two down and Smith and Labuschagne are batting, the, um, the idiosyncrasy brothers, and just kind of chewing up dot balls and not moving the score along very much. And you're thinking, well, England are well on top here. Yeah, it's amazing, really. You, you have these um, these moments where, where everything suddenly becomes very clear, and you realise that you've, you know, three months on, you've flown halfway across the world, you've been in India for a month, travelling around, and yet you're still watching Chris Wokes bowling to Steve Smith and Manus Labuschagne, and they're still kind of going quite slow, and it's right. still quite annoying and quite boring, and yet it's happening and it's kind of working, and Australia are going to grind it out like they yeah. did through the summer. Um, it's a little bit like, so imagine you, I don't know, you say your school friends, and I'm going to transpose this to an English context. So 
say like three of your schoolmates say, hey, we're having a holiday to Mallorca and you should come. And you go there and you are now 31 years old instead of 14, but they're having the same conversations. Yeah. They're all sitting around the coffee table. They're all talking about things that happened at high school. They're all giving each other shit in exactly the same ways, talking about exactly the same stuff. And you just think, why am I here? What am I doing here? This is bullshit. My life has moved on. There are other things I could be doing. And it's Chris Wokes bowling to Steve Smith again. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I, what I will say is Marnus has somehow been the great sort of survivor of this team. I mean, can you survive something that you didn't even start with? Because in August, he wasn't in Australia's World Cup squad. He wasn't even in their A team. Uh, that's he was captaining Australia A. He was going to go on an A tour with the Australia A 50 overside and lead them in New Zealand to get him as far away from the World Cup as possible. And yet here he is. He's like whack-a-mole. Every time you think he's out of the side, he bobs up again. And, and since then, Australia have played 15 men's ODIs and Manus Labashain has featured in 15 men's ODIs. It's just incredible. It, it, you know, everyone gets injured. We were saying earlier, maybe he has some kind of voodoo doll where he's getting like, you know, this is Steve Smith's wrist. This is... Glenn Maxwell slipping off a golf buggy or something like that. Like how else does it happen that every single player that needs to uh, get injured or have some kind of minor, minor niggle to get out of the team finds themselves out of the team? And then Marnus, you know, he started really slowly today. It was a real grind early on, and you suddenly thought Australia were going absolutely nowhere. And he ends up with 71 off 80 balls. It's, it's, you know, it's good partnership batting. It's running twos through the middle. It's, it, it's old school ODI cricket. Yeah. It's not sexy, you know, Mitch Marsh smacking it 100 meters. It's not Maxwell reverse scooping, but it sort of works, and it actually ends up being pretty much enough to get the job done. Do you and, think? Do you think he makes it? look harder than it is um, because so the pitch was a bit irregular in pace there were some balls that were sticking in the surface and it wasn't that easy but in a way I, it's like in a way I think he batted really well and in a way I wonder whether he made it look like he batted really well by being more cautious than he needed to be yeah there, there might be something in there you know honestly he, he, he did so little at the start it honestly felt like he was yeah. playing he was playing a test match almost more conservatively than he does in test cricket sometimes he was 20 off 40 balls at one point yeah and uh, but yeah somehow he made it he made it work he fit it all together and Australia ended up with what ended up being you know maybe just short of par but par is right. all subjective and when you bear in mind an England team that had been bowled out inside 41 overs for four games in a row coming into this um, you know 280 was always going to be tough particularly if Johnny Bairstow got out first ball and Joe Root fell inside the power play again if they did, if they did, we no spoilers here. We'll come to that momentarily. The, the, the thing, I think, the, the key point for me is that it wasn't enough when Adam Zampa came out to bat. The score was 241, and he was batting. He came out at the fall of the eighth wicket, was it? Um, yeah. it was, sorry, so hang on, maybe it was, it was 240 something. Adam Zampa makes 29. He helps add 44. Adam Zampa is not supposed to make 29. Adam Zampa does not make scores like 29. He he is, he, he, you know. Bless him, a, a wholehearted cricketer with great skill with leg spin. He's not a contributor with the bat. He rarely does much with the bat. He usually hits one to mid-on or mid-off on about four. And that's fine. That's fine. It's not his job to do that. He comes out. He's facing Mark Wood, who's got 10 balls left in his spell at this point. And I'm just expecting to see Adam Zampa, you know, just having several ribs broken or something. He's wearing a tiny little arm guard, one of those little sweatband ones. Like, yeah, no worries. I'll face Mark Wood. He gets in behind a couple. He gloves one over the keeper. And then at one point, he backs away and baseballs one back down the ground. He's playing sort of little hoiks. He's getting leading edges that are landing in space. He got a bit fortunate, but he played some brave shots. But if Zampa doesn't do that, if he doesn't help add 44, Australia are putting 240 on the board and it's 
not going to be enough, I think, even with this England side being not in good touch. So in a way, that informs those middle overs with Smith and Labuschagne and so on. Did they play well enough? I think maybe they didn't, even though that's a bit harsh, because, yeah, Labuschagne top scores, and he did catch up. He did catch up later, but he left himself a lot of catching up to do at the same time. So, you know, and and Stoinis came in and made 35 um, and contributed. And Green, we haven't touched on, Green batted really well, um, because we're used to Green being a dot ball hog and just soaking up the bowling because he doesn't know how to rotate strike yet. But he did rotate strike pretty well, and he hit boundaries at regular intervals. He made 47. So it was important, but it, it was like they just didn't have someone who kicked on and left a fair bit to the tail, and luckily the tail was up to it today. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Zampa is, you know, I'm sure people listening to this will be familiar with at least some idea of the persona that he projects because obviously players aren't always what they're like in press conferences and media interactions. The impression I get is that he probably is quite like what he is is like when he speaks to the media. Um, He comes out and does his press conference and sort of gives a fairly straight answer first up where he says, you know, we, oh yeah, me and Starkey were just talking about rotating the strike, taking it deep, being positive and sort of speaking like he's a batter. And then in a follow-up question that someone asked later, he basically admitted that he's not netted all tour and doesn't really care about his batting. But clearly, uh, that's the solution. Is to While everyone else was playing golf, he, he stayed a couple of extra days in Dharamsala, said found himself in the mountains uh, and instead decided to, uh, to come out and have a swipe and it worked and fair play to him. It, you know, what an incredible day he had with bat ball and in the field. Yeah, so it did work for him and it worked for Green who probably ends up back out of the side because Mitchell Marsh will be back for the Afghanistan game on Tuesday, which is interesting as well. Uh, okay, so they get up to 286. They're all out in the last over. Ooh, got to bat out your overs. Didn't bat the last three balls. That was three singles they could have added. Didn't do that. Um, and then England, you know, Mitchell Stark, wickets in, the first, wickets in his first over. He's good at this. He did this against India to start the tour. Then he hasn't done it since. He hasn't taken a wicket in um, sort of early, early in, in, in the innings in... Did he take one against New Zealand? He certainly didn't take one for a few games. Oh, he didn't take a wicket against New Zealand. So he didn't do it against Sri Lanka, Pakistan, South Africa, New Zealand. No power play wickets. Today, not a good ball. It's down the leg side. You shouldn't get a wicket for it. But Bairstow gloves it or nicks it because, I don't know, Bairstow just likes doing weird things. Took a screamer of a catch, by the way, Bairstow in the deep. Like full Aussie rules style overhead mark diving backwards out in the deep but yeah he's out first ball Joe Root squeezes a leading edge into the covers Stoinis drops a sitter it came to him more slowly than he expected hits him on the end of the thumb breaks his thumbnail he has to go off and get that finished and then a few overs later if you want to prove it's Marnus Labuschagne's day Joe Root plays and misses no real appeal sort of stark half appeals English doesn't appeal at all Labuschagne says that's out that's out he's hit it he's hit it it's out it's out he is as Barrett described in The Boy Who Cried Wolf they're like don't listen to Marnus and he keeps going it's out it's out it's out and Cummins goes Marnus go away Josh do you think he hit it Marnus is going it's out it's out it's out and Cummins is like stop talking Marnus Josh did he hit it it's out it's out he's like okay fine we'll take the review they take the review and he's hit it Joe Root this tiniest little scratch he's nicked one Um, uh, so the drop doesn't cost him anything much Root's out early and and then it's up to Stokes and Milan to try to do some repair work which they do like all good tradesmen incredibly slowly yeah, I mean, from the English perspective, it has been honestly baffling to watch players who are as good as Johnny Bairstow and Joe Root be in such poor form. And it feels like all of these dismissals are just, you know, almost inexplicable shit happening. Um, you know, Root was convinced 
that his dismissal against Boomer the other day where he you know leaned across his stumps and got smashed on the pad he was convinced it was the tiniest spike on ultra edge which there was but there was also one before so it was probably one of those murmurs you know but he basically felt like he got a, he got stitched up he had a cool leg slip against South Africa he's basically found ways to get out every time then he has another one today he finally gets to the life where you think this is going to be the moment where Joe Root becomes the 2019 version of Joe Root in ODI cricket who top scores for England as they win the World Cup he's arguably England's best ever ODI number three instead he gets out in the power play yet again and it's honestly it's got to the point where I, I remember originally seeing some numbers earlier in the tournament saying Joe Root has got out in the power play a lot in ODIs in, the, in this World Cup cycle and I basically thought at that point I think this was two or three games in I thought well yeah but Joe Root this World Cup cycle you know his ODIs have been few and far between uh, they've been you know test cricket's been the priority he's occasionally dropped into an ODI series it's such a small sample it doesn't matter anyway he's now in this World Cup cycle since the 19 final he's batted in the power play 18 times and he's only made it out of the power play seven times Ooh. which is not good no. um, you know you've got to go, you've got to up those numbers those are it's like, like he's the first victim in the horror movie or something didn't yeah. didn't even make it out of the school gymnasium yeah. and it's just it's honestly baffling because yeah. and he's the, averaging what like 20 in the last year and a half in one day cricket something like that yeah and it, it's you you know, you've got these proven fantastic players mm. who, for whatever reason, and we can, you know, we could probably do a five-hour special on exactly why, are horribly, horribly out of nick and are finding ways to get out. And England are 19 for two chasing quite a lot. And it suddenly feels a mile away. And even though Milan plays very well, Stokes digs super deep at the start of his innings and then starts grinding through the gears, takes it from third to fifth and yeah. is suddenly going there's just this constant sense that there's a little bit too much to do and particularly against Zampa because of the fact that England once there was a point you know I, I'm old enough to remember two years ago in Dubai there was a T20 World Cup where England used to absolutely send Zampa there was a game there where I, they won in 14 overs chasing 140 or something like that Butler and Bairstow lined him up, smashed him. He had a terrible record against England at the start of his career. Today, England can't get him off the square. They literally didn't hit a boundary against him in 10 overs, yeah. even though they had left-handers paired for a lot of that. Um, and they just they just couldn't do it. They couldn't, they couldn't even rotate the strike and try and knock twos into gaps. They just got stuck. Neither a four nor a six was hit from Adam Zampa in his spell of three for 21 from 10 overs. 10 overs. How does that happen? Um, I don't think he's ever bowled 10 overs as economically as that. So he, he gets wickets, but this is after there's the Milan-Stokes partnership. And David Milan, I have to say, ends up playing pretty well. Yep. He takes his time and then starts catching up. Stokes is still grinding away. Milan gets to 50, and then on 50, he, uh, he smacks Cummins to deep square leg. Um, he's put on a partnership of 84, you've got to say, at this point. So he gets caught out in the deep. Who took that catch? Travis Head, take that catch. Uh, and... Uh, you know, and, and then Stokes has Butler come out, and Butler is, is the first one to fall to Zampa, hits him to long off, looking to force the pace. He's out cheaply, and then Moeen puts on 63 with Stokes, so there's another partnership. And like you say, Stokes grinding through the gears is a good analogy, because he's really grinding. He's going, gah, 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 and then occasionally he hits a six, yeah. and he's like, oh, thank God. It really reminded me of um, being in Dharamshala. In the, we're in this kind of old, rickety minibus thing, taking some of us up the hill to the place where we were staying like up the mountain and it was really it was grr, 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 and then it would get over a rise and be like oh thank god and it'd have a little flat bit and then it would heave up the next bit you could hear the groaning you could hear you would hear ben stokes basically having a hernia yeah. it was a live audio hernia <laughs> podcast watching stokes bat today but he keeps going he gets up to 60 
what's he? What did he make? Sixty-four in the end. Yeah. Sure, let's say that. Um, let's. Say, I mean, Pat Cummins said that Zampa made thirty odd in the press conference <laughs> when he made twenty-nine. So round up, always round up, sixty odd. Um, and then he gets out. This weird dismissal, a little sweep shot to short fine leg. He's out to Zampa as well. Um, and and then what you've got? Oh, it's Liam Livingston, the absolute screamer that Sean Abbott, the subfielder, takes off Cummins, cracks a pull shot. Bit middled it more than he's middled a shot all, all, all tournament because Livingston's got 60 runs in six hits um, here at the World Cup. So he's out for two. And then Moeen tries a slog sweep and he's caught by Warner off Zampa as well. Zampa's third. And, and that's pretty much all she wrote. Although, you know, Willie and Wokes do some stuff at the end. So they put on 30 before, uh, before Willie gets out. And that's Adam Zampa's incredible catch running around from fine leg, um, diving, ran, ran something like 24 metres they tracked him from fine leg to almost deep square leg and takes that catch. And then they had 27 more before Wokes um, gets out. Then at that point, they're all, they need like, what, 35 or 14 balls. And you think, well, they could do it. And he hits a six off Stoinis. And you're like, maybe they'll do it. Because Stoinis had to bowl the 48th and the 50th. And then he gets out last ball of the Stoinis over, and that's definitely, you know, it, it's finally all over. Yeah, the, I suppose there was that little point, there are a few kilometres of hope for England, where uh, you could tell that Cummins had got to the point where obviously he was managing the fifth bowler slightly differently today, or the, the fifth yeah. bowler allocation, because there was no Maxwell, which meant you had head plus Stoinis plus Green as the extra overs. Mm. Um, green didn't bowl at all. Well, Green bowled one ball and yeah. got a wicket. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could tell he got to the point where he thought, let's let's win this game before we have yeah. to worry about this. You, you, can, you can tell that I was walking downstairs to do the post-match interview when the last wicket fell, because I didn't actually <laughs> see who took it, so I didn't realise Green had yeah, bowled. Green bowled. There we go. Ball. That's 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 the level That's the level of planning. That, look, I watched all but the last ball of the match, so come on, go easy. Um, so Green, okay, green, green strike rate's looking pretty good then. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, he basically got to the point where they were like, let's win it before this becomes a thing then it did become a thing briefly and there was a top edge six off Stoinis and you think oh, hello maybe England have a chance uh, but it, it's just not happening it's England at this World Cup it's never gonna it's never gonna fall into place it's just um, and you, I suppose the, the there is a sort of slight sense at least of the sweet release of death at the end of what has yes. been a very drawn out process but the, the problem from England's point of view is that they don't even quite have that because of that shock revelation seven days ago uh, that they actually have to finish in the top eight to qualify for the Champions Trophy. And they now go to Pune and have to get something against the Dutch in the Euros final. And it's just, we've seen this movie before and it doesn't end well for England. And they play Pakistan as well. So Pakistan will need to beat England um, in order to try to qualify. Pakistan's still alive thanks to their absurd um, Duckworth-Lewis win. Australia have pretty much wrapped up a spot. In theory, other teams could level them on points but won't turn that net run rate around. Um, and Australia have Afghanistan and Bangladesh to go and uh, will we'll surprisingly not be forfeiting that game against Afghanistan. Who knew? Which probably means, actually, this is a good time to come to the final word, Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame, where we pick the most final word moments of the day. Uh, mentioned to you, Matt, last night, the uh, incredible ancient Egypt replica at Westfield Stratford City. Sometimes we talk about Westfield London a lot. Sometimes Westfield London gets all the glory, but do they have a, an ancient Egypt exhibition? They do not. They do not. The secrets of the pharaohs are not at Westfield London. They are at Westfield Stratford City. And I feel a bit like we're in one of those weird ancient temples at the moment. This could have been something built by some Ozymandian king that we're standing in right now. In a way, is, the, is this, this stadium not a giant tomb uh, a giant marker to, to some sort of pseudo-god. Uh, you don't have to comment on that. <laughs> I, I think it's probably best for everyone, for your channel, that I don't. <laughs> yeah, so look, point is, 
Westfield Stratford City, Google it, Google Ancient Egypt and find out that you can do more things there than just go and get a good feed and get in the nets at sixes and smash some cricket balls around, which you can also do a more extra less ordinary our friends at Westfield. Uh, Hall of Fame, maybe um, you were just mentioning this to me on the way down. Speaking of Afghanistan and forfeiting points and not forfeiting points, Naveen Haq has entered the chat. He very much has. I'm going to let you address that one because what I want to make sure gets in the Hall of Fame is Harry Brook's incredible yawn today. Um, Harry Brook is, I think, I'm, I need to check this out, but going into this game was England's fourth highest run scorer in the World Cup, despite having been dropped for the last two games. Uh, and is still pretty high up that list, despite everything. Um, we sat on the bench in the dugout today, he did a bit of fielding, then he was sat there next to Bryden Carls, who was chewing his nails after England lost the wicket. Uh, Brooke was there with a cup of tea and just had this absolutely incredible, massive yawn. He definitely would not have been doing it for show in any way, but it just seemed to sort of sum up the state of, uh, you know, England playing this team of 30-somethings, three games in a row, going with the, if it's not broke, don't fix it, approach to the toss, even though it is so broke, you can't even begin to address it. Uh, and Brooke was sat there, uh, you know, bored out of his mind, basically. He's been dragged around in here and running drinks for a couple of weeks and just thought, I'm, I'm you know, no holds barred, no hand over the mouth. I'm just going to let it all rip. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's good that Harry Brook doesn't care. Maybe he's, he's, if he's unencumbered by previous failure, he's the kind of, that maybe that is, is a psychological benefit for a batter to just forget failure and go out and succeed next time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's going to be the rebuild heading into that next World Cup, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, who knows? He'll obviously be a massive part of it, but um, I don't know. I feel like he's got to play another game of this tournament, but maybe he won't. Maybe there won't be that big statement dropping that everyone's, you know, been, been looking for for a couple of weeks, and maybe it'll just be the same guys doing the same things and still scoring no runs. Surely they should just send Ben Stokes home to get his knee done now instead of keeping him out here for another week. It just seems beyond pointless at this at this stage yeah so so Naveen Al-Haq's been on social media digging into Cricket Australia and, and saying um oh, that's a nice some nice honking good well done good you're at Cricket Association bus that's very musical um yeah saying uh, interesting that you boycotted the bilateral series but I don't think that you'll be boycotting this series when you need points um yeah he's he's got pretty well stuck into Cricket Australia there, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little Hall of Fame for Mitchell Stark with his, his black arm covers. So he's had the yellow ones, he's had the green ones, and today he got the black ones out. I don't know if you've heard of this product. They're called SP Arms, or as we read them, SPARMS, which means sun protection, uh, because sleeves were, were not a good enough invention. They had to reinvent sleeves, which are separate sleeves, separate to your shirt, and you wear them at night. That's how they work. Nice, yeah. I mean, I, I I saw the green ones, which I thought were a nice nice touch actually. Um, they sort of a, a bit of a throwback, if I can. To there was an Aussie T20 kit where they used to have mm. they, they used to be like sleeveless shirts, and they had these sort of grey slash silver mm. undershirt sleeves. Michael Clark era. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm picturing an era where T20 was just enough yeah. of a joke that players might even have had some nicknames. Yeah. Um, but it was a great kit, and it, any throwback to that. You got to, you got to enjoy. Yeah, they might have. There was a game where Stickers Harwood was playing for Australia, um, and it might have been around that era. With it was a sort of dull yellow vest thing with grey sleeves, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think KFC era Australia. Yeah.
And the last one is for Maria Erasmus, that first ball uh, that Bairstow gets, first ball of the innings, where sort of Bairstow gloves it, then he takes a step as if he's going to walk, then he stops because the umpire hasn't moved, then Erasmus just, just pops his hand halfway up. It, it just It's the smallest umpiring. He's like, you're out, go, leave, like get, get out of here, piss off. Um, don't hang around waiting for me to make a decision. I know you hit it, you know you hit it, keep going. Um, so he didn't raise the finger, he just he just blooped the finger. It just went bloop, 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 up half, about halfway up. I can't, I can't gesture this on an audio recording but it sort of came up to about naval height he just pointed at Bairstow basically and Bairstow eventually left um, so it, it was it was the most non-event um, umpiring signal for a dismissal that I can think of anyway that's it that's the Hall of Fame for us this was day 31 I think it was the second part of the double header um, we've got one more doubleheader weekend to go. We've got, I think, nine group stage dailies to go from here. Uh, we've got Westfield, London, Westfield, Stratford City with us throughout. If you like what we're doing, patreon.com slash the final word is where you can help us make the show and get involved with the very nice online community that we have. Thank you to Matt Roller for chipping in the last couple of days in the co-hosting spot. I'm Jeff Lemon. This has been The Final Word. We'll see you next time. Sorry if I ran out to empty wrote this, so you know what I meant here. I had to go about it.